Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Minnesota's hospitality industry looks for a big summer comeback, everything you need to know about preventing skin cancer, and Minnesota's Northwoods League steps up to the plate. But first... Officials from the state and Federal Emergency Management Agency are tallying up damage from early spring flooding in the Red River Basin, widespread severe storms in May, and continued flooding in far northern Minnesota with an eye to a possible federal disaster declaration. MNN's Bill Werner talked with State Homeland Security and Emergency Management Director Joe Kelly, who says... We had kind of a combination event going on there. We we asked FEMA to come to the state to do a damage assessment, really from two two different events. The first was, um, we'll just call it springtime flooding, uh, aggravated by by uh, heavy spring precipitation that started on or about the 22nd of April. And there, are, I think there are about 19 counties uh, that might not be exactly right that were involved in that flooding event. And then starting uh, the week of May 8th and running through the 13th, there were about three successive lines of severe thunderstorms with tornadoes and damaging winds and large hail that came through. And and so because they both have the potential to qualify for federal disaster assistance and one the, the tornado the severe thunderstorm event happened inside of the flooding event, which is still ongoing as as we can all understand with what's happening in north central Minnesota, we just put it all in one request and asked FEMA uh, to come and do it. So far, the first week, uh, we did the flooding, uh, for the most part, in the Red River Valley. And that was completed uh, last week. We have to wait now because the rest of the counties that are subject to flooding are in far north central and northeastern Minnesota. So we're talking Lake of the Woods, Kuchiching, St. Louis Lake, and Cook counties. We, we're going to have to wait at least a week and honestly, Bill, maybe longer because we just have to wait for the water to go down so we can properly uh, assess the damage. So we took a break from the flooding damage assessment, and uh, we are doing um, the severe thunderstorm and tornado damage from that uh, that second week of, of May. Now, the assessments that are taking place, these are to determine whether, in fact, uh, thresholds are met for federal disaster declaration. Is that right? Yep, that that that's correct. So we we've set up uh, based on the reports that we got from the counties and tribal governments about what they think are their eligible public infrastructure damage and other response costs. We've set up a schedule and we're going out to look at them together and kind of agree on kind of verify if you will what's eligible for disaster assistance and then when we get done with that process, we add it all up and if it exceeds our state threshold um, which is now about nine, little over $9.3 million. That gives the, the governor kind of the logical basis for which to ask the President of the United States through FEMA to authorize state, or excuse me, federal disaster assistance. That's State Homeland Security and Emergency Management Director Joe Kelly. Meanwhile, many Minnesota farmers have been hit with multiple punches. Last year's drought 
A wet and cold spring this year that delayed planting, avian influenza, and then spring storms that have battered widespread areas of the state. The Rural Finance Authority this week approved zero-interest loans to repair ag producers' physical facilities, and we talked with State Agriculture Commissioner Tom Peterson about that and other upcoming aid for farmers. Luckily, the legislature just put uh, $2.5 million into our revolving loan account where we can make uh, zero-interest loans for disasters uh, uh, to farmers. The farmers will be able to work with their local banks to uh, get a zero-interest loan for the storms that have happened here in May. So that's a uh, not that farmers need a loan, but if you need one, another loan, uh, if you need one, that's there and to help. So that's good action that we we're able to take. And, you know, uh, just hope that, uh, you know, things get a little better here as we get into June. Another thing I'd like to ask you about is closely related to is agriculture declarations because the obviously uh, Director Kelly, uh, in, in his purview, is is looking at uh, the possibility of a presidential disaster declaration. They're doing assessments in that area, but I know you've got uh, agriculture disaster um, uh, declaration options or possibilities as well. Is that correct, Commissioner? It is, and uh, we actually have asked for something called the. Uh, uh, physical loss assessment uh, uh, for farmers because it wasn't crops, it was uh, buildings. And so, again, uh, what would be eligible would be uh, low-interest loans from the USDA. Um, a little different situation in that it wasn't uh, crops, luckily. Uh, we're looking at other problems with that uh, as we get into it. But, uh, um, you know, we're continuing to work on that. Okay, so yeah, what you're talking about in the initial round in terms of if there's an ag disaster declaration would be physical damage to property, but then the, but then the, the, the potential crop loss problems due to the wet spring uh, and cold spring, that, that, that's something that's down the road in terms of, in terms of action on that. Commissioner? Yeah, and, right. And not, not very far down the road. We're going to know here probably this, this next month whether farmers will enter into what's called a prevent plant type situation where they just are not going to be able to get the crop in the ground. It's uh, The window is, uh, is shrinking in a lot of areas of the state. Uh, we maybe uh, 15 days here coming into June before it's just going to be too late for not just crop insurance uh, dates, but just the, um, the growing season in general. And it's, it's really too bad just because of the, the prices farmers could be getting right now and the, um, you know, and so it's, it's a, it's a tough situation all around right now. That's State Agriculture Commissioner Tom Peterson. And Scott, folks can stay tuned to Minnesota News Network for the latest on what help is available for those hit by storms, flooding, and a tough spring planting season. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. 
Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person, too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Though it looks to be a good summer for Minnesota's hospitality industry, there will be challenges. I recently spoke with Hospitality Minnesota's Ben Wogsland to talk about the good news and to talk about some concerns moving forward. Yeah, absolutely, Scott. So, you know, this is an industry that's really been through, uh, you know, the ringer these last couple of years through COVID, probably the hardest hit industry of any uh, due to the closures and just the COVID conditions in the last two years. And so uh, the positivity that we're seeing going into the summer is certainly welcome news uh, as folks, you know, look to trying to get back to do what they do best in this hospitality industry, uh, you know, hosting guests and, and uh, travel and tourism and, and connecting uh, their guests with excellent food and excellent experiences. So what we're seeing in the data through this, our most recent survey with the Minneapolis Federal Reserve Bank and explore Minnesota tourism is that for the first time uh, since the pandemic began, all three sectors are projecting positivity on revenue for the summer. What that means is that over 70% of uh, resorts and campgrounds, hotels and motels and food service businesses are projecting that they'll get back to pre-pandemic level revenues or maybe even better through the summer. And so, you know, that's very welcome news for an industry that's been very beleaguered over the last uh, couple of years. Uh, of course, we aren't quite out of the, the pandemic at this point, and we also are having supply chain issues and other things that we're seeing in a variety of industries. What kind of an impact uh, is that expected to continue to have on the hospitality industry? Yeah, there are certainly some headwinds uh, that the industry is still facing. Number one being, you know, workforce shortage. Uh, while we did add 6,000 jobs to the industry statewide in Minnesota in April, we're still down 25,000 workers from pre-pandemic levels at this time of the year. So that workforce shortage is certainly a challenge for, for small businesses. And for an industry that in normal times employs one in 10 Minnesotans, uh, it's really important that we get this industry back on track for the broader economy. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, the, work, uh, the, uh, the supply chain issues or inflation issues uh, are really hitting uh, pretty hard right now, this industry. Uh, according to our survey, about three-fourths of hospitality operators in Minnesota said that the prices they paid for goods and services have jumped uh, by 5 to 10% or even more over the last year. And that's up from 59% saying the same in March. So inflation has gotten worse uh, for these small businesses. Interestingly, only 50% indicate that they're currently passing on similar price increases onto their customers. Uh, and obviously, you know, that cost revenue relationship's not sustainable over a long term, but likely reflects a concern of what the market will bear. I know a lot of folks are watching closely, you know, what the gas prices will do and what inflation will do for customer demand. Uh, there's been some national reports on that and speculation recently to date. You know, I think the customer demand has remained strong and people have been willing to continue to spend in order to go out to eat and uh, 
get back to traveling and tourism and doing the things that, that they love uh, within the hospitality industry. But it's certainly something that's concerning uh, going forward. And when you talk about, you know, having decent revenue for these businesses over the summer, certainly a larger chunk of that is getting getting eaten up by the inflation uh, and the costs that they uh, have to bear to do business, whether that's, you know, dealing with the workforce shortage or dealing with inflation. And I think that's why long-term, when you ask them, you know, when do you think that things will return to normal on a more steady pace rather than just looking at a summer season, for instance, uh, you know, about half of the restaurants and about half of the hotels say not until 2023 at the earliest, maybe 2024 will we get back to a sustained level of, of normal revenue. Um, so, you know, we, we are still engaged in a multi-year recovery, but uh, certainly happy to have positive news in terms of what folks are expecting for this summer. Yeah, clearly there are uh, significant challenges that remain, but it does sound from from this data as though there is uh, room for hope. I'm curious, have you have you talked with business owners? Obviously, as we get into summer here, this is a time when especially businesses in greater Minnesota um, are sort of counting on uh, vacationers, travelers to uh, to frequent their establishments. What are you hearing from those folks as we head into summer? Yeah, I think mo- many of them are expecting a very strong summer uh, for travel and tourism in greater Minnesota. And I think even in the cities, uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of events that are scheduled for the Twin Cities here and uh, some positivity as those events are coming back. A lot of those events that have been kind of put on pause over the last couple of years. Um, you know, I think corporate travel is still a little slower to come back than the other uh, pieces, recreational travel or, or group business or what have you. So, um, you know, I think that by and large, there's a lot of optimism about the potential for the summer here. With things looking to be somewhat on an upswing, uh, which they haven't been for the last couple of years, I imagine that that would mean if folks want to uh, book reservations for things like resorts throughout Minnesota, that uh, that it, it may be too late or they should do it right quick. Yeah, I don't know that it's too late, but I think, you know, it's probably wise uh, to start making your plans now because I think demand is strong for sure. Um, you know, so uh, we encourage folks to get out there and and uh, and and uh, help support this industry. Go to those places that you know and love or try somewhere new. Thank you to my guest, Hospitality Minnesota's Ben Wogsland. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Skin cancer is the most common type of cancer in the U.S. With summer upon us, it's important to remember that overexposure to the sun may have harmful side effects, including increasing your risk of skin cancer. Tasha Radel has more. With the summer starting, more people are spending time outside and in the sun. Skin cancer, including melanoma, is the most common type of cancer in the U.S. Melanoma incident rates in Minnesota have doubled since 1988 for both males and females. Joining me today is Dr. Ingrid Polkari with the University of Minnesota Medical School, M Health Fairview, and Masonic Cancer Center. Dr. Polkari, what is skin cancer? Absolutely. So, Skin cancers are tiny growths on the skin uh, that typically typically form in response to sun damage over time. 
So this could be things like basal cell, squamous cell, or the most dangerous form of skin cancer, which is melanoma. What are the primary risk factors for developing skin cancer? So I like to think about two big categories. You know, the first risk factor is our genetics or how we're made. And this has a lot to do with uh, uh, how much pigment we have naturally in our skin. So those with really fair skin or those who tend to sunburn easily have a higher risk of skin cancer. And if you happen to have red hair type uh, and make freckles easily, you're even at higher risk for skin cancer than those who don't. The other category to think about is our behaviors in the sun. So how much sun exposure we have over our lifetime and especially how many sunburns and suntans we have over our lifetime very much contribute to our risk of skin cancer. Dr. Polkari, what preventive measures can people take against skin cancer? Well, I think the first thing to say is that it's never too early to start protecting your skin from the sun. So parents, grandparents should start talking to their kids and grandkids very early about how important it is to avoid the sun and be careful in the sun, and then practice that as a habit throughout the lifetime. So things that you can do to uh, protect yourself from the sun would be simple things, sometimes even choosing to do your outdoor activities in the morning hours or later afternoon or evening hours when the sun is less intense, covering your skin with things like uh, long sleeve clothing, wide brimmed hats, and then of course sunscreen to areas of skin that are still exposed to the sun. And that kind of leads me into my next question. When it comes to buying sunscreen, it can be a little overwhelming. There are just so many products out there. What do you recommend? Well, I think the first thing to say is the best sunscreen is one that you will use. <laughs> so you want to choose a product that, uh, that you don't mind the feel of and that's easy to apply. If you happen to have sensitive skin, it's best to use the physical blocker type sunscreen. So those are sunscreens that are made with ingredients like zinc oxide or titanium dioxide. Uh, and these also happen to be the products that I recommend for patients uh, that are very young. What SPF level is best to buy? It makes sense to choose an SPF of uh, 30 or higher. You can find much higher numbers on the shelves. Once you get above SPF of 50, you're probably not, not having that much extra protection, but that number 30 is, a, is one to keep in mind because that's giving you pretty good protection. And Dr. Polkari, how often should you reapply sunscreen throughout the day? Sunscreen is designed to be reapplied about every two hours. Now, of course, if you are swimming or sweating heavily, you should consider reapplying more often than that. What should people look for when checking themselves for skin cancer? Yeah, I think first and foremost, it makes sense for you to just get to know your own skin. We all have markings on our skin, so get to know what's there already. And then that really shouldn't change over time. So once we're adults, we shouldn't really necessarily be making new moles or new bumps in our skin. So if there's a change in an existing mole with a new color or shape or size, that's something to be concerned about and that should be checked. Or if you develop a new bump that persists and doesn't resolve or a new scaly spot that just doesn't go away, those are reasons to see your doctor for a skin exam. And I know skin cancer uh, is a topic very near and dear to your heart. What are you doing to advance skin cancer research? Of course, so as a pediatric dermatology, sorry, I'll start over. Of course, as a pediatric dermatologist, my uh, area of, of passion is, is young patients and, and protecting them. And my research focuses on how we can influence children and parents to start protecting their skin early. And then also looking at things like social media and other influences around us and what drives us to want to protect our skin from the sun or maybe what would drive us to want to have a look of a suntan and things like that. 
Well, we're about out of time today. Any final thoughts, Dr. Polkari? The early summer is definitely a time when we may forget how sensitive our skin is in the sun. As Minnesotans, we spend a lot of time indoors. And uh, it's important as we get back outside and enjoy some of the summer weather that we are careful in those first days outside and we don't get that sunburn that we regret. Thanks again to my guest, Dr. Ingrid Polkari with the University of Minnesota Medical School, M Health Fairview, and Masonic Cancer Center. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns right after this. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. I opened a 401k. So you're giving up, just like that. Giving up on what? I'm getting an inheritance from a distant relative. Don't you think if there were a billionaire in the family, we'd know about it by now? Listen to me. We are one phone call away from riding horses on our own private polo grounds. One call from christening yachts, having a butler, using summer as a verb. How do you figure? Look, everyone's got a rich uncle somewhere. It's statistics. So the best thing you can do is just prepare for the inevitable. Right, which is why I thought maybe it would be smart to take control of my finances. You know, start using a budget, get out of debt, set some retirement goals. Budgets? Debt? You watch your mouth. Retirement shouldn't be a goal for us. It should be a way of life. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Last week, we heard about the start of the Northwoods League season in Minnesota and around the upper Midwest. This is the second week of the 29th season for the league, which features some of the top college players from around the country. Time now for part two of MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm's conversation with Northwoods League Commissioner and President Ryan Vaz, who also owns the franchise in Wilmer. He says fans and supporters are excited about the start of the season. I think what you're seeing a lot, too, is a lot of the business community that is supporting Northwoods League Baseball in their market. And if you're a business owner, um, you believe, uh, for the most part, that this is good entertainment. It's family fun. It's quality of life in your community. So if you're in Wilmer, Minnesota, you understand that you're trying to retain young professionals in your community, have them uh, raise families and uh, make the community uh, better. And uh, they want to be supportive of the Stingers and they want to be able to uh, continue to have Northwoods League baseball in their market, whether it's Wilmer or St. Cloud or Mankato. Um, And so the business community is very, very uh, impactful of what we do. Um, I'd like to say that we open the gates in Wilmer and a thousand people show up off the streets to buy a ticket. Um, But a lot of those tickets have been purchased by businesses and then given to their employees or customers. Um, And so a lot of the, the heavy work is done in the off season in preparation for the upcoming season. And and not just baseball players, and I'll ask you about their development, but the, it, you mentioned it, the, the business part of it as well. Um, even you, I know you started right as an intern in this league many years ago and have worked your way up to commissioner and uh, running a franchise. And, uh, you know, you have team broadcasters and photographers and communication interns and equipment guys, I suppose, and, and all these people, and I say guys, women, of course, involved as yep. well heavily. Um, and they also are getting their crack at learning uh, baseball and maybe can move on to, uh, to to places of business, whether even sales and marketing, I suppose. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, the, the, the staffs of these teams have grown. And uh, I think back from when I started in 98 in St. Cloud, there was three of us. You know, there was the general manager and two interns. 
Um, and now you have a full 10, 12 interns for us here in Wilmer. And there's markets uh, in the North League that have 20 to 25 interns. And so uh, you go from the off season of having your full-time staff to uh, bringing in the players, bringing in the coaches. Uh, but, in, you know, the league has really uh, tried to create separators from other summer collegiate leagues. And one of the biggest one is the video broadcast. So any fan on a nightly basis across the country, across the world, can go to northwoodsleague.com and watch the games for free. Um, new this year, we've added a game in each of the divisions on ESPN Plus as well. Um, and so that is a huge exposure piece to the Northwoods League being able to follow these games for free. It was a paid subscription two years ago. Last year was the first year that it was free. And uh, now you have a, a director, an, an assistant director, uh, three camera guys that are running it. You're putting together a video broadcast every single day, a pregame show, a uh, play-by-play guy that's with it, a full graphics package. So it has really evolved into um, quite the production. Well, and it's all part of the process you think about. I know I'll ask you about this in a minute, too. You know, all the big leaguers that have come through and gone out of the major leagues, you're now starting to see, um, even I have, a, a traveling with the Gophers, I'll run into somebody, you know, we play Virginia Tech, and, oh, that guy was at St. Cloud. Do we, you know, he yeah. got his start there. Now you're seeing Major League Baseball broadcasters who yeah. maybe, yeah. Uh, you know, cut their teeth, you know, in a Wilmer or in a St. Cloud or a Madison, Wisconsin or what have you. Yeah, it's, it's just a, it's a great league uh, for the players. But like you're saying, I mean, from a front office standpoint, whether you want to use this as a stepping stone um, as a broadcaster, uh, we always thought that the video uh, production internship is one of the best. This is a place for to, to come in and learn, make mistakes, get better, uh, and be able to leave uh, with hopefully a really good reference, but also uh, being a part of a team over the course of the season. So if you've interned in, if you intern in the North League, it's usually – a good one because if you want to do an internship for another franchise or another sports team, they look at the Northwoods League schedule and see you play 72 games in 75 days. And if they know you can make it through the Northwoods League season, <laughs> odds are uh, you can make it through the, uh, a season at their level. I know the list gets longer every year, but who are some names of players that uh, uh, baseball fans at the major league level would recognize that have gone through all of this, lived with a host family and wherever, uh, gone up through the minor leagues, and now we're watching them you know, in, in big league baseball? Who, who are some of the yeah, bigger no, guys? Yeah, you know, a couple of the two big names that are always brought up, which are some of the bigger ones in baseball, but, uh, you know, Max Scherzer. Um, you know, face Chris Sale. So Chris Sale and Max Scherzer both uh, from the Northwoods League and uh, Pete Alonzo, which was kind of a fun story from not too long ago. Uh, the list continues to go on and on uh, in terms of uh, players that have made it. So for us here in Wilmer, uh, we've had nine guys in 12 years make the major league level, uh, six of which were on opening day rosters this past year. And so you can go all the way across the entire league Um you know, it, it never fails for us. We, we watch the Minnesota Twins, right? And and Hunter Dozier, for some reason, always hits home runs against the Twins. And uh, it's cool if you're a baseball fan to look back and say, that guy was a shortstop for the Stingers. Uh, and now he's, you know, winning ball games for the Kansas City Royals against the Twins. So that's the cool piece if you're a baseball fan. Uh, but a majority of our fan base are coming out for the fun factor. Mm-hmm. They might even leave when the game is tied to go home. Uh, and that's okay. Um, this is a social uh, venue for people to go to. And um, But if you're a true baseball fan, uh, th- this is some cool stuff to watch. So one interesting piece will be that uh, this year's upcoming draft in July for MLB, there's a player by the name of uh, Brooks Lee 
from Cal Poly that played in Wilmer two years ago, and he's ranked as one of the top five draft picks uh, to go in the MLB draft. Uh, so I'll be interested to see if he truly ends up being uh, the highest pick in the history of the league. So there's a lot of good players come through the league that uh, are going to get opportunities. That's Northwoods League President Ryan Vaz and m and Sports Director Mike Grimm. That's going to do it for us for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.